Our most holy and righteous Heavenly Father, we come this day as weak and poor children who need your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and give to us the ability, the energy, the desire, and the passion to follow our Savior. We desire that more than life itself. May our hearts be made to love him more who died for us. May our lives be molded to show forth the Lord Jesus to this sin-cursed world that we live in. We are feeble, we are weak, but thou art great. You're the mighty God. You work and none can hinder. And all that's going on in this world and in our lives is by your will, for your glory, and for our good. Help us to understand that and to believe that. Whatever our afflictions are, troubles and problems, help us to lay them on Christ who tells us he cared for us. Therefore, we are to come to him boldly with confidence. Bless what we've heard this morning to our hearts by your spirit and what we shall hear from your servant today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So affliction and Psalm 119. I do not have a particular... Uh, stanza to take or a particular, I mean, you see a text here, unless thy law had been my delights, then I should have perished in my affliction. Uh, an interesting thing to note about Psalm 119 is that aside from the first eight verses, the second eight verses, and then the last eight verses, um, every other stanza or collection of these eights are about some kind of affliction. Okay, this is, this is a psalm where the, the psalmist is living in the same world that you live in, facing the same kinds of things that you face. I don't know what you think about when you think about affliction. Um, it's really, it's just misery and trouble. I mean, you could, you could do a, a Greek word study on it and you could come up with something that sounded a little more sophisticated than that, but it's not going to be any more meaningful than that. It's, it's misery and trouble. You know what that's about, don't you? We could articulate and try to go through all the different problems and difficulties maybe that we have in the world that we live in. I, I really do think one of the tremendous hindrances of the mindset of a modern day individual that lives in the West, it's not just America, is that we are fooled into thinking we live in a world where affliction is not supposed to be normal. Every human in history has known we live in a world that's full of affliction, except perhaps us. I heard someone say one time that you know the the the, the Puritans and and that 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 um, uh, mindset a lot of times they're they're uh, or even the Victorians are accused of being real very prudish when it comes to things like sex. They very very prudish about that. And he said, well the. Really, the, the, the thing that we're prudish about in our culture is, is death. I mean, those guys knew they were going to die. They were very open about that. It wasn't um, taboo. Now, unfortunately, it's not just our young folks, but the average young person thinks that what they're going to do is become a superstar and whatever it is that they're interested in. And everything's going to fall into place just like they want it to. 
And if there are any heartaches or problems, something's gone wrong. Well, brothers and sisters, or you're not sisters, brothers. <laughs> Something has gone wrong a long time ago. And we're still reaping the fruit of that. So misery and trouble. It's, it's specific enough that you know what I'm talking about. If you think for a little bit, you can locate the misery and trouble in your own heart and in your own life, it's general enough that we're not talking about the worst thing you've ever endured. For some of us, that's what we're talking about, maybe. But we're also talking about just that day-to-day nagging affliction that you face. So we're going to do a couple of things. Uh, we're going to do a sort of a survey of the affliction in Psalm 119. We're also going to look at the afflicted heart. And then this particular message is it's going to be focused on a practical, out of Psalm 119, a practical way forward. What to do, how to respond. So several years ago, uh, at a at a men's conference, I did a message on how God leads us through trials, and it focused more on sustaining, healing, um, uh, strengthening our faith, and those kinds of things. Well, this will be kind of a companion to that, which is not concerned as much with that, more concerned with what do I do as I find myself in affliction? What are my priorities? What uh, are my action plans as I think about moving forward in a way that reflects the priorities of Scripture. All right, so types of affliction. Types of affliction. If you just do a a survey of Psalm 119 and you try to see what is it that this guy is facing. By the way, it's worth noting, this is the same person in what seems to be a... um, Pretty condensed season of his life. So this is, doesn't, Psalm 119 does not seem to be, uh, autobiographical in the sense of from the time he was born till the time he died. This seems to be a season of his life where he's communing with the Lord. And these are the types of afflictions that he's facing. Number one, and I'm, I'm really drawing this out, but, um, by the way, if you want the PowerPoint, let me know and I'll give it to you. And I just say that because there'll be a lot of notes and um, you might write so much you miss what's being said. So uh, if you like to write, write. If you don't like to write, just ask me and I'll send it to you. He says um, in Psalm 119, verse 5, Brother Andy talked about it last night. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Well, what's the assumption there? That they're not. Right, Sin and temptation, how many hearts are afflicted by just the run-of-the-mill temptations you face on a daily basis? Maybe it's the ads you're not looking for that stir up thoughts that you don't want to be thinking, that you end up lingering on too long. Maybe it's the conflict Brother Mike was referring to that you wish would go away. And the harder you try, the worse it gets because of your own sinful responses. So sin and temptation. He says in verse 19, I'm a stranger in the earth. He feels he's lonely. He's isolated. Maybe even feels at a place. I'm a stranger here. There aren't other people like me. I'm, this is another way of kind of saying, I'm, I just feel like a weirdo. Feel out of place. What about abuse of power and unfair treatment? I mean, you can, I'm not going to go to every one of these verses, but princes are conspiring against him. The, the, the wicked are setting plots for him. You know anything about that? You know anything about that? Living in a country where the abuse of power is just spiraling out of control? Notice the psalmist here is not plotting a takeover. He says, I'm outnumbered. I'm surrounded by the wicked. 
I'm intentionally misrepresented. The proud have forged a lie against me. He's plotted against. The proud have dug pits for me. Targeted. The wicked wait for an opportunity to destroy me. Now you'll, you'll, you'll notice as you look at these that the bulk of these are, these are relational tensions. These are relational afflictions. So we have some afflictions that are from within. That is the sin and the temptation and, 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 uh, uh, personal wrestlings. But then the vast majority of these kinds of temptations or, or uh, afflictions are taking place in relation to another individual on a horizontal level. I'm small and despised. Seems like I'm invisible and even insignificant as it relates to the operations of what's going on around me. So you might look and find a few more, maybe categorize some things a little differently, but as a whole, these are the types of afflictions that the psalmist is going through, that he's facing. And then we see the afflicted heart. And some of these I just threw it all out there because it would be too long to click through, but this is, these are the responses to the afflictions that he's facing. So he says in verse six, um, of Psalm 119, then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. And so what's the afflicted heart? What's the response to personal sin falling to temptation? Well, it's this guilt and shame. Verse 20, he says, my soul breaks. 25, my soul cleaves to the dust. That is, I'm down about as low as I could possibly be. It could be, it could be translated, my, my soul is glued to the dust. It's stuck there. I'd like to get up, but I can't. My soul melts for heaviness. Verse 28, his heart is gripped by fear. He's in derision. He's horrified when he looks out and sees the wicked. He says, my soul faints. My eyes fail. I've become like a bottle in the smoke. That's just I'm worn out. I'm, my soul is continually in my hand. Rivers of water run down my eyes. Trouble and anguish grip his heart. Grief grips his heart. Again, I say all this just to say the psalmist lives in the same world you live in. Now, this is a men's conference and none of you are going to stand up and say, yeah, I cry rivers of water all the time. But men do cry. Talk to more than one who've gone through afflictions their testimony is, I cried more tears than I ever thought I possibly had. Is that a sign of weakness? Is that a sign of some deficient faith? Yeah, it's not. It's not. So let's think about, as you face the afflictions that are in your world, and then as you try to deal with your heart responses to those afflictions, that is, your grief, your um, horror, your fill-in-the-blank, what is it that you ought to be thinking about? What is it that ought to be guiding you through? And, it, and, and we could come up with more than just these four priorities. We might even come up with four different ones. But for our purposes this morning, as it relates to Psalm 119... You know, there's something that I say here fairly often. I've probably said it at a men's conference or two, but as we think about these afflictions, you know, you don't get to choose your afflictions, right? None of you got to go to the sign-up stand and put your name underneath the particular affliction you wanted before it came your way, did you? You would have never done that. Two things in life that you cannot control. People and circumstances. You know what afflictions are made out of? People and circumstances. You've never said, my bicycle keeps picking on me. <laughs> That's not the way it works. 
Your afflictions are made out of people and circumstances. Two things you cannot control, no matter how hard you try. The one thing you can control in life is your response to people and circumstances. So when we start thinking about priorities for the afflicted, we're talking about and thinking about how am I going to respond? How am I going to be a good steward of what I can control in the midst of a whole lot of things I can't control? You know, one of the reasons why, and I will not go on a long tangent here, but I'll just lay this out there and let you do with it what you will. One of the reasons why so many Christians are losing their mind in our nation right now is because they're consumed with what they can't control. Don't do that. It's not helpful for your family. It's certainly not helpful for your church. And it's not helpful for you either. Priorities for the afflicted. Priorities for the afflicted. Number one, sow good seed. Sow good seed. Now, all these priorities are for what's happening in the midst of your affliction. Okay, I'm not saying when things get better. I'm saying right here, right now, whether you're in the biggest affliction you've ever faced in your life or you're just in the middle of the garden variety afflictions that you face on day-to-day terms, sow good seed. We're going to unpack these as we go. Number two, Commune with God. By the way, if you look at Psalm 119, these are observations, okay? So there's nothing in Psalm 119 that says you should be sowing. But if you look at Psalm 119, the writer has been sowing for a long time. You want to know how you pray the way that this man prays? By pouring yourself into Scripture. That's how. You want to know how you commune with God the way that this man is communing with God? By, I think Brother Andy was the one who brought it up last night, by practicing that. And by that, I just mean experience, by doing it. Number three, pursue wisdom and understanding. Pursue wisdom and understanding. We can make very stupid decisions in the middle of afflictions, can't we? The pressures are on. We want relief. And what is ridiculous looks wise because it promises something that we think we need, which is outside of God's purposes. And then number four, walk with God's people. So priorities for the afflicted. Again, we could come up with more, but I think these four will get us headed in the right direction. We'll we'll illustrate them. We'll talk about them from Psalm 119. Sow good seed, commune with God, pursue wisdom and understanding, and walk with God's people. By the way, priority two, three, and four, all those are sowing. Okay, so the the first priority is kind of an umbrella. Sow good seed. What would that look like to sow good seed? Well, you would be intentional and disciplined about your communion with God. You would be intentional and disciplined about pursuing wisdom and understanding. And you would be intentional and disciplined about walking with God's people. You know, a lot of times when we find ourselves in affliction, we're in a place to where it is impossible to make things better. You ever been there? But you know, it's always possible to make things worse. Okay, always possible to make things worse. And so this is hopefully some uh, guidelines to help us move in a good direction. So understanding the principle of sowing and reaping, the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. So Psalm 126.5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The only way to access the blessings of Scripture is to reap them. Okay, This means that if you want to reap the blessings from Scripture, you must sow the seed of Scripture. What do I mean by that? Well, um, and, and in some way, folks have said most of everything I'm going to say, so it's just going to be repackaged. Scripture is meant to shape your thinking. Scripture is meant to shape your desires. Uh, And as you look at Psalm 119, what you find is the psalmist is not just thinking about Scripture. The psalmist is keeping, obeying, following, turning himself, pursuing what God has called him to do. You You want to reap the blessings of Scripture? then you have to do with Scripture what God calls you to do with Scripture. Okay? And and we'll look at that in a lot more detail in just a second. Here it is. 
sowing the seed of Scripture. Take note, if you were to go through Psalm 119, and I've, I've done it for you unless I've missed some, take note of what all this guy is doing with Scripture. Okay, He respects it. He's learning it. He's keeping it. He's taking heed. He's hiding it in his heart. He's declaring it. He's meditating on it. He's beholding it. He's choosing it. He's observing it, trusting it, hoping in it, walking and seeking, remembering. He's singing Scripture. He's turning his feet towards Scripture, giving thanks for Scripture, believing Scripture, considering Scripture, fearing Scripture. That's a lot, isn't it? You say, I want to be a Psalm 119 kind of guy. Well, there's your list. What are you doing with Scripture? You know, I heard uh, J. Vernon McGee, you guys, some of you guys know who that is, the, the uh, Through the Bible radio guy. He made a statement one time that um, unfortunately, so many times, Christians approach Scripture unlike any other book. And he said this, how many people... When you were in, I'm just making up a class here, when you were in, or, or, or if you were in, calculus, how many people would expect to do well by gathering around the table and having one person open up the calculus book for 10 minutes and reading out loud the problems and then closing it up and being done for the day? Anybody think you're going to do well with that? No, that's not, that's not the way you do calculus. I don't do calculus. I don't even do math. <laughs> but that's not the way I would approach that. But so often, that's the way we do with Scripture. Uh, what if someone was trying to, 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 to uh, learn calculus and they said, well, isn't that a sweet little nugget of a calculus problem? <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, Scripture is sweet after you've mined its riches. But Scripture is not given so that we can use it the way Brother Isaac was talking about. He said gifts. I always thought they were called gifts. And little tweets. It's not meant for that. You've seen some people say, I'm going to get serious about reading Scripture, guys. Please send me all your verses because I'm going to put one verse a day on my calendar. How much do you think you're going to get out of that? If that's the only intake of Scripture, one verse out of context every day, disconnected from the verse before, okay, that's not the Psalm 119 kind of guy. He is sowing. He's sowing. And like farmers, we need to learn that we cannot sow and reap in the same day. You know this. You've heard this before. We live in a culture that is, is uh, um, just assumes that instant gratification is the way things work. Uh, you know, if I need something and uh, I live in Ripley, Mississippi, where I don't have access to a lot of things, I have Amazon Prime and I can have it here by tomorrow if I need it. Well, that's not the way the biblical sowing and reaping really happens, is it? This is what the psalmist is reaping. He's rejoicing in his testimonies. You ever wish you, rejo you rejoiced more in his testimonies? Do you know it's not a military secret as to how you could get there? He's delighting in his statutes. He's hoping in his word. He's comforted by the word. He's, 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 I mean, throughout the psalm, he says, quicken me. That is, revive me, restore me, or make me whole according to your word. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Or, or I say that. These are not the questions. These are what he's actually getting. He says, I'm wiser than my teachers. I have more understanding than the ancients. Why? Because he's been sowing. He's reaped an appetite for and an enjoyment of Scripture. Now, I've been saying this for a long time. If you find that your, your time in Scripture is... Um, it's just not beneficial. You ought to rethink the way maybe that you're approaching it. So often when I talk to people about how much they're reading, um, my observation is people try to read too much at one time. And you say, too much? They ought to be reading more. 
Well, let me ask you this. How often have you had a quiet time or a time of devotion, a Bible reading, and you were hoping a chapter a day would keep the devil away, and you got finished with your chapter, you closed it up, you don't have a clue about what you just read, and you moved on. How often has that happened? Brothers, I'm not saying God can't bless it. I mean, God parted the Red Seas. He could do what He wants to do. But that's not the heart of a Psalm 119 man. It would be far better for you to pour yourself into a smaller portion of Scripture where you're actually understanding what the Word says. You're considering it. You're meditating on it. This is how you reap these kinds of things. You will never enjoy something you don't understand. You know what I I particularly have no enjoyment for? The Chinese language. You want to know why? Because I don't understand it. I have no enjoyment for that language. Now, I've heard the nuances and the different uh, breathing whatevers mean something, but like I said, they're just whatevers to me. I don't know what any of that stuff means. Because I don't understand it. The other, the other thing is, 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 someone was talking about the, the brother Mike, maybe the, the hatred of, of lying. He says the psalmist says in one hundred four, I hate every false way. Why? Because he loves every right way. His love dictates his hates, and you can't love the paths of righteousness and every false way at the same time. He's been sowing. Brothers, he didn't come up, he didn't, he didn't read a verse or find a nugget yesterday that made his heart this way today. He's been sowing. He's got a love for scripture, a consuming zeal, an awestruck heart, and he has great peace, and all because he's been sowing. He's been sowing. I don't know if you've ever thought about your scripture reading as a sowing and reaping, uh, but that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. Jay Adams says this, good deeds lead to good days. That's a sowing and reaping statement. You know this from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Now let me ask you a question. Is that true all the time? You can answer. Spiritually speaking, whatever you sow, you will reap. Is that true? Are you sure? You don't sound sure. Right before it, it says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. So what would happen if you were to reap something spiritually speaking as far as this principle? What would happen if this principle reversed itself in that passage? God puts his name on the line here. Brothers, if you sow Good seed you will reap. Now, let me tell you why sometimes we have a problem with that. Because what we think it's saying is, if you do good deeds or if you sow good seeds, your life will be easy. Good is not the same thing as easy. Something can be good and not feel good at the same time. Okay, Good is according to God's purpose. Okay, Good is not what seems... Pleasant and easy for me right now. So again, we're thinking sowing and, and reaping. Think about this. Look at Psalm 119, verse 155. This is a sowing and a reaping verse that's pretty, pretty interesting. Psalm 119, verse 155, salvation, or we could say deliverance, is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Okay, salvation is far from the wicked, or deliverance is far from the wicked. For, we could could translate that also because. Here's why. You want to know why salvation is far from the wicked? Because. You want to know why deliverance is far from the wicked? Because they do not seek God's Statutes. Do you see the sowing and the reaping effect there? They do not seek the Lord's statutes. Therefore, deliverance is far from them. Now, in light of that verse, what do you suppose is going to happen to you if in your affliction you refuse to seek the Lord's statutes? What do you suppose your end is going to be? 
Now, I'm thinking about in, in, in light of the, the affliction, the Lord delivering you from the affliction. Sometimes we can pray for deliverance with our fingers crossed, hoping the Lord is just going to zap us and remove us from the whole thing, and that's usually not the way it works. You know, I wonder how much heartache, devastation, and destruction could be avoided if we would simply get over our stubborn, self-centered pride when we find ourselves in affliction. Now, this is just being honest, right? I mean, this is where we are. This is not necessarily what you bring to the the table when you're meeting with Job, but we're talking in generalities here. You want to know what our heart's biggest problem is? Really, always, but affliction is no different. My heart and your heart, the biggest struggle we have is that I love me and I have a wonderful plan for my life and you're messing it up. Okay? So, as we're sowing and reaping, we're thinking about that. The most helpful thing anyone could tell you in the midst of affliction, starting out, sowing and reaping, you need to get into the Word. You need to um, seek to walk with God through obedience to His Word in your hardship, in your misery, in your trouble. Best thing you could do. Now that might look different for different people. We're not saying that you have to do a deep dive into the original languages. What we are saying is, if you're going to walk with God... He's revealed how you can do that. All right, now, communion with God. An attitude of humble dependence. Look at the, look at the psalmist, uh, the, the kinds of prayers that, that he prays. Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes. The psalmist lives in a world where it's, it's a real possibility that he's the one who's blind, not everybody else. Lord, quicken me. Again, revive me. That is, Lord, as I'm reading your word, Brother Herb prayed to this end, as we're, as we're reading your word, we cannot make it effective unless your spirit awakens us, revives us, applies this to our hearts and to our minds. You see, the, the quickening is something that you have to Uh, reap. You you can't quicken yourself with God's Word. You can sow the good seed and then pray that God would quicken it. But we're humbly dependent on the Lord here. Teach me, Lord, teach me. Give me understanding. Help me. All these these requests, you could find more, but he's communing with the Lord in in an attitude of, of humble dependence. He's not coming to God with instructions. He's coming to the Lord with requests. And the requests are some version of, Lord, I need your help. Secondly, pursuing wisdom and understanding. Look at this prayer in Psalm 119.80. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. Now, the only way to sincerely pray a prayer like that is for us to actually be in the Word. Right? We wouldn't say, let my heart be sound in your statutes and expect that to be the case as if God was going to plug in a thumb drive in the back of our head and upload them. That's not the way it works. We're, we're sowing seed. We're in the Word. We're interacting with the Word on multiple levels. One would be meditating and considering Right, And then we're praying, Lord, bless my heart to be sound in your statutes. This prayer for understanding, it, it, 
in some way or another, it may be what the psalmist prays for most in Psalm 119. Whenever he comes to the Lord and he's asking God for something, understanding might be, it's at least one of the most common prayers. It may be the, the most common prayer in Psalm 119. Now, depending on the, the word, um, the words may change up. But Lord, give me understanding. Give me understanding. Why do you suppose the psalmist wants understanding? You know, we're, we're busy interpreters all the time. I mean, we interpret everything. When we make sense out of an affliction, when we make sense out of a trial, when we make sense out of a conflict, when we make sense out of a hopeless or hopeful situation, all that's by way of interpretation. He's saying, Lord, give me understanding. Bless me to interpret life right. Bless me not to be fooled into thinking that my friends are really my enemies. Bless me not to be fooled into thinking that I'm the wisest person in the room. Bless me not to be fooled into thinking that I can do this on my own. Bless me not to be fooled into thinking that my case is special, unique. Lord, give me understanding. Bless me not to be ruled by my emotions. Bless me not to be ruled by the desire for relief. Bless me to remember that my story, the, the story of my life is a story of redemption. Right? We could say that about every single one of us in here. Which means that every affliction that ever comes into your life is just one more chapter of a story of Jesus Christ redeeming you and being faithful. In faithfulness you have afflicted me, the psalmist says being faithful to conform you to the image of Christ. This isn't a story about a victim. This is a story about a victor. One who has overcome through the blood of the Lamb. Lord, give me understanding. Let me see how these pieces fit together. And then the psalmist points us again to the source of understanding, which is the Word, the Word of God. So we're thinking about understanding, particularly in trials and in afflictions. I just picked a few that, that would be common. We, we need to understand God's character, right? God's character. Verse 65, Psalm 119. He says, Thou hast, thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Now, think about this. I mean, here we are, we're in church, and I'm preaching a message, and I say this, and read this, and you're not surprised because you know that's in the Bible, but how many times have you gone through an affliction, and the bottom dropped out, and the first thing you thought was, Lord, you sure have dealt well with me. I mean, the psalmist sounds like a nut, right? He does this in a lot of ways. Princes, Brother Mike uh, read, princes come against me. And I stand in awe of your word. <laughs> When's the last time you did that? Again, he sounds like a nut. But he's not. He's been sowing. He's been sowing. And this is the fruit of long-term sowing. So he, he says, Lord, you have dealt well with me. Verse 68 You are good and you do good. Now, this is, he's not saying this after, you know, he married the woman of his dreams. He's not saying this after he received some sort of an inheritance that really allowed him to coast financially. He's saying this in light of his affliction. He's saying this even after acknowledging, Lord, you're the one who afflicted me. You are good and you do good. Again, one of the principles that can be very difficult for us to get a hold of, but it's essential for the life of faith, is that just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean that it isn't good. Okay. If your gauge or what you're using to interpret what's happening in your life is how you feel, you're going to be all over the place. Often God's good work in you feels bad, but produces a very good result. He's pruning, cutting back. 
Verse 75, he's faithful and he's sovereign. He's faithful and he's sovereign. Um, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. When we think about God's faithfulness, how is it measured? Well, it's measured by his promises, right? I mean, faithfulness, trustworthiness means you do what you say. Now, I want you to think about where do you struggle the most? And my bet is that wherever you struggle the most is where you tend to feel bombarded as it relates to temptations. You want, you want to know why God allows that? Because He's faithful. He's faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to continue to conform you to the image of Christ by growing you in areas that you are currently weak in and at the same time keeping you dependent on Him as you acknowledge that in and of myself I cannot have victory in this area. He's faithful. I remember, I don't even know that it was based on this verse, but I remember having a conversation um, when, um, I think it was when David was born, and we were in the hospital. I was talking to my sister-in-law, and she was talking about how Abby had, my wife, had always, one of her biggest fears was always having a, a baby in the hospital or a child in the hospital, a sick baby, that kind of a thing. And, and she said, you know, it's the kind of thing that just makes you wonder, why would God do this? Why would God do this? And, and in my mind, uh, the Lord, I don't remember this particular verse coming to mind, but I do remember the answer in my mind was because he's faithful. That's why. Because he's faithful. He makes us walk through those roads that we never wanted to walk down to find out that he's far more gracious than we ever thought he could be. He's faithful and sovereign in your affliction. By the way, in verse 90, it lets us know that His faithfulness is not just reserved for some bygone generation. His faithfulness is to all generations. You know that? I was talking to Brother Daniel Crone either last night or this morning. We were having this conversation about, maybe it was this morning, about whenever we go to heaven and we'll get to sit down with Moses and Abraham and David and, and, and have extended conversations with them. And, you know, we'll be interested in talking to them. But did you know this? Did you know King David's going to be interested in your story as well? Do you know that? We're all living a redemptive narrative where Jesus Christ has taken us and is working His purposes in us through our life experiences. There are no superstars in heaven besides Jesus Christ, right? Moses is going to be just as interested in you as you are in Him. Why? Because both of you are going to be the handiwork of God. He's faithful to all generations. Then understanding God's purposes. This is a good quote by Thomas Brooks. Afflictions are the golden key by which the Lord opens the rich treasure of His Word to His people's souls. You know, I think we could have a, a, a testimony time and many of you would bear witness of the fact that God's Word has been far more precious to you in times of affliction than any other time. Maybe it was in a time of affliction that you got serious about being in God's Word and you found that it was sweet. It was good. You found it made sense when Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So understanding God's purposes. We've mentioned these already, but you know God has a purpose in every trial, right? There is no purposeless event in your life. Romans 8.28 lets us know that He's working all things together for good. What is the good purpose that He is working it toward? Your conformity to the image of Christ. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this momentary light affliction is working in you. A purpose that is... Um, uh, uh, 
Uh, somebody help me finish that. Brother Zach, you know it? Far more exceeding weight of glory. Okay, a good purpose. Good purpose. Here really we could take from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. God's purpose in your life right now is more concerned with heaven than it is here. And you say, well, that's a bummer. <laughs> no, you're not going to say that, are you? At least not out loud. <laughs> but that's what the verse says. His purposes in your current affliction is not for necessarily concerned with now. It's far more concerned with heaven. One of God's purposes, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through 4, is to equip you in your affliction to minister to others more skillfully. Somebody says, well, I never wanted to do that. That's not my thing. I don't even like people. <laughs> you know, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You don't get to choose what God does with you. He chooses that. And He uses your afflictions to equip you for the work that He's called you to that may be, I mean, just, just completely um, counter to your personality. And then another one of God's purposes, at least for the psalmist here, and we should not assume that it's not one of His purposes for us as we go through affliction. Verse 67, He says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept Thy Word. He learned obedience through His affliction. The Lord used it to produce obedience. He used it in verse 71 to produce a greater appetite for His Word. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. All right, you need to understand, as far as uh, understanding goes, your need for companions. Some of you guys have seen that t-shirt before. Never fight alone. Brothers, look around. There is absolutely no reason why anyone in here should be going through an affliction all by yourself. No reason. I don't care what kind of an affliction it is. Whether we're thinking about relational strife that Brother Mike mentioned, whether we're talking about battling pornography that Brother Timothy mentioned, whether we're talking about battling some other sort of sexual sin that's embarrassing and, 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 and there are times where people think, you know, I just, I can't imagine there's anybody else in this room that's had this kind of thought or that struggled with this kind of struggle. Well, you may not be able to imagine it, but it's true. The men that are sitting in this room know what it's like to be tempted the way you've been tempted. And part of God's provision for His people in affliction, whether we're talking about what we would call the big ones or the garden variety ones, is His people. The, the, the encouragement, the help. You should never be fighting alone. Proverbs 18.1. Sometimes folks say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just not much of a people person. I'm going to do this by myself. Um, here's what Proverbs 18.1-2. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. That's not noble. That's selfish. He rages against all wise judgment. That's not wise. It's foolish. And then he says, a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. You want to know one of the bigger problems of isolating yourself when you're in affliction? Is because when you're in affliction, what tends to happen is your whole world shrinks down to that one thing. It's all you think about. It's, 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 it's uh, consuming. And if you're not careful, what you'll end up doing is swapping out the companions that the Lord has provided for you for people who agree with you. You ever, you ever known that? You ever been tempted to do that? You see this a lot with, with people who have strange or, or odd medical things that are going on. Rather than walking with God's people who love them and care for them, they end up placing their trust in a bunch of quirks that they wouldn't trust otherwise. Because they're saying the same thing they're saying. 
Or maybe it's this. Maybe you have someone where it's not medical, it's just, it's just a particular temptation. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's the pornography thing. And you have folks who are saying, brother, you've got to repent. And, and we want to walk with you and hold you accountable and so forth and so on. And then you've got another group that says, oh, brother, we, we all sin. That's not that big a deal, you know. That's not that big of a deal. Aren't you thankful for grace? I mean, we all sin. Don't worry about that. And all of a sudden you begin to gravitate. Or you have someone, you've had, had repeated trials and difficulties and afflictions and, and you need a word of advice and somebody gives you that word of advice and you know it's sound and you know it's from Scripture. And then when they're done, you also know one more thing. I'm not any more interested in this than the man on the moon. I am not going to follow through. I'm not going to follow through. Why? Well, according to Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, because I'm selfish, because I'm foolish, and because I'm only interested in hearing or expressing my own heart. That's a dangerous place to be, brothers. So understanding our need for companions. Uh, also, the Ecclesiastes 4, 2 are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will pick up his fellow. And we could go on, but for time's sake, we're not. You know the passage, or you can, you can look it up there. Here's the reality. Every single one of us, at some point, you're going to fall down, and you're going to need help getting up. At some point, you're going to be cold, and you're going to need someone to help warm you up. At some point, you are going to need help. We need to understand our need for companions. Good, godly companions. Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear thee, is what he says, and of them that keep thy precepts. Or Psalm 119, 74, they that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. Now think about that. You know, there is a time for you to pour your heart out to an individual, maybe a group of individuals about the difficulties that you are enduring. But are the people of God glad when they see you because you've hoped in His Word? If every time you come around, you're just an Eeyore, and the only thing you have to talk about is how bad everything is, and by that I'm not saying if you've experienced a loss or if you've experienced a difficulty here or there, or relational dynamics, that those are supposed to be left at the door. I'm not talking about that. But you've met the people Maybe you are the man, you'll have to decide. You're going through an affliction. Maybe you come around and you're fellowshipping and, man, I don't know how anything could get any worse in Washington. It's just bad, you know, it's just bad. And I'll tell you what, the drive-thru at McDonald's, have you noticed how bad that is? I mean, they are just slow, slow. And maybe I think maybe they're using a different kind of meat too because it's just, it's just not what it used to be. And, I'll tell you what, these ladies around here don't cook like they used to either. It's just not, it's just not what it was. You know, the quantity or the quality. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, just a, you know, that's, that's, that's just the way it is. But you know, the Bible says it'll get worse and worse. <laughs> Are God's people glad when they see you because you've hoped in His Word? Brothers, do not miss the reality that in your affliction, you have an opportunity to witness the goodness, to be a witness to the goodness and grace of God. There was a quote by John Newton that was very helpful for me at one point. And I'm not saying that you can never voice your difficulties. You should voice those. You should have people you can talk to about those. John Newton said this about, I can't remember now even what the affliction was, but he said, here's what I know. I will not complain about this in heaven. And so I will not do so now. I will not complain about this in heaven. And so I won't waste time doing it now. All right, so the way through, and we're, we're going to wrap it up. The way through affliction. Let's think about this from a, a concrete 
commitments and action plans, as we're working through the pain, working through the difficulty, trying to move forward, how do we put these things together? So number one, diligently so with the end in mind. Things may not get better tomorrow, but they can get worse if you're not careful. So so diligently with the end in mind, commune with God, walk with God's people, and pursue wisdom and understanding. All right, so the way through, diligently so, with the end in mind, what would that mean? Well, Psalm 119, verse 30, he says, I have chosen the way of truth, and thy judgments have laid before me. Brothers, one way to sow is to choose wisely. Choose the way of truth. Often people talk about things happening to them when really they're not happening to them as if they're passive. They're pursuing them. Okay, Choose truth. Choose wisely. Secondly, Psalm 119, 59 and 60 The psalmist says, I thought on my ways and I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Consider your ways. You know, meditation works both ways. We should be meditating on the Word of God, but in order to apply it to our hearts, we need to be meditating or considering the position of our own heart. What am I wanting? What am I pursuing? What have I been doing? Consider and turn. Here's a truth that sometimes is long forgotten. Did you know there's no such thing as growth outside of repentance? I mean, growth means that you're turning to Christ. And if you're turning to Christ, you're turning away from something, right? If you want to grow in affliction, repentance has got to be a key part of that. Now, that might not feel good, but it'll be good. Choose. Pay attention to what you're choosing. Consider and turn. And then refrain. He says, refrain my feet from every evil way. There are things you've you've got to refrain from. And again, these are sowing. The choices you make today might not have a tremendous impact tomorrow, but they could completely transform six weeks from now. You know, I tell people when they come in for marriage counseling, if it's a, if it's, let's just say it's in January, I'll say, you know, in March, your marriage could look way different than it does now. If you turn to the Lord, humble yourself, seek to put His Word into practice, it could look way different. And if they do those things, it does. It does. Sometimes it's even sooner than that, but it's sowing, sowing, sowing. Okay, then communing with God. Communing with God. You know, James says if you draw near to God, He'll do what? Does that sound like a sowing and reaping to you? Okay. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Okay. Tell God about the difficulties of your circumstances. You know, God wants us to speak our pains and afflictions to Him. That's part of what it means to commune with Him. We can pour out our, our afflicted heart in lament, like Psalm 13, Psalm 77, Psalm 88. We can think about 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all our cares on Him because He what? Yeah. He cares for us. It's not an insult to God. As we bring our afflictions to Him, as we bring our laments to Him, it's a way that we commune with Him. Go to His Word for help and for understanding. And so maybe read, study, meditate, memorize, obey portions of Scripture that are pertinent to your current struggle. You know, all Scripture is useful, but it's not all useful in the same way. If you're going through a particular trial, let's just say you're going through relational conflict, and what Brother Mike preached this morning was very convicting to you. Okay, it would probably be very helpful for you to spend a little time in James 4. Just working through those first several verses. Study those. Meditate on those. Memorize those. Obey those. 
And then maybe read, study, meditate, memorize, apply the Psalms for hope and for encouragement. And, and I have on here just because they're, just to give you something concrete, Psalm 120 to 134 might be a good place to start. And you say, well, why that? Because that's what I'm preaching on Wednesday nights. That's why. I mean, no other reason than that. That's just what I'm thinking about. So maybe you're thinking about something else and, and you could use that, but commune with God by getting into His Word. Walking with God's people. Proverbs 13.20, He who walks with wise men shall be... Does that sound like sowing and reaping to you? You need wisdom in the midst of affliction? There's a provision for you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 lets us know that there's no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. Do not convince yourself that nobody else understands what you're going through. It is a lie. It's a lie. Attend church purposefully. Pursue relationships intentionally. You know, there are times where um, people admit, yeah, I do need these relationships and I, I, I do need to walk with God's people, but, but you know, the problem is I come to church and nobody talks to me. Well, guess what you ought to be doing then? Anybody want to guess? Yeah, you don't need a doctorate to figure that out, do you? If you go to church and you're trying to make friends and nobody's talking to you, try talking to somebody. You know, I know folks that they, they say, well, you know, you know, I come to church and nobody talks to me. And, and when you watch them, you know why. If you need help knowing how to engage, you know, I, I could say more than just go talk to them, but honestly, if you struggle in this area, I'd be happy to talk to you about that and to try to help you move forward. But brothers, we need each other. We need each other. And then number four, pursue wisdom and understanding. Proverbs uh, twenty six twelve. If you seek me, you will what? Does that sound like see, uh, uh, sowing and reaping? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm putting all these in, in a question form and then we'll be done. So the goal here is for you to interpret your circumstance with biblical accuracy and then to respond in biblical obedience. Okay, and I'm going to move through these. Here. So as we try to get wisdom and understanding, question number one, as you find yourself in an affliction, who has allowed this affliction to enter into your life? You can answer these. Yeah, any affliction. Who chose the timing? I mean, you ever throw your hands up and say, why now? As if it would have been better two weeks ago, right? God controls the timing. 1 Corinthians 10.13 lets us know that He controls the pressure. The intensity. So God is the one. Now, number two, do you think God has a purpose for you in this affliction that he's allowed into your life? Yeah, of course he does. Is it a good one or a bad one? It's a good one. Okay, again, we're trying to interpret the situation. Whatever the affliction is, this applies. Do you have any reason to think that God might use this affliction to help you grow in Christ-like character? Of course, you know the answer to these because I have a verse reference out there. Of course He can. And that's one of His purposes. So again, if when we're thinking about God's good purpose, we're thinking God's going to use this to make my life easier. No, He's going to use this to make your life more like the one who endured the cross for you. Do you have access to any of His provisions to help you participate as He works in you according to His good purpose? Yeah, according to Second Peter 1, you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's not that you don't have anything. It's that you have everything. Number five. Now this is where you've got to spend a little time meditating. If you think about your affliction, what is it exposed about the covetous inclinations of your own heart? Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies and not unto covetousness. We're a room full of covetous people, aren't we? And we can covet things that we don't necessarily think of as being covetous. So like if you're in affliction, 
If you're if you're in a in a in a difficulty and and um, what you're looking for is relief, that seems reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, relief is a reasonable desire. It's a horrible God. You can covet relief to the extent that that's all you look at. And you can end up like the Psalm 77 heart that says, God, unless you're giving me what I want, how I want it, then I'm wondering if your grace is just clean gone. We've got to be careful about our covetous hearts. In light of what, uh, in light of that, that area of covetousness in my heart, then what scripture do I need to be meditating on to apply it to my life? Uh, number six, this is the last one. Where am I resistant in asking God to order my steps according to his word? Don't assume you're not resistant to that. We all are in some areas. So where is it? Why? And then what would it look like for me to humble myself and in sincerity pursue that in prayer? And so, brothers, as we're thinking through this, again, this is what to do. There's a lot of other things we could say about affliction, but this is a biblical path forward as we see and glean from Psalm 119. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do thank you that you are good and you do good. Father, it is in faithfulness that you afflict us. And yet, in the midst of our affliction, we find comfort and strength in your word. We find help with your people. Uh, Lord, you give us guidance. You give us um, uh, hope. You allow us to draw near to you and to commune with you. And so, Lord, we just pray you would teach us what it means to suffer well as we go through the afflictions of life. I thank you for these men. Lord, I pray you would meet each of them where they are. In Jesus' name, amen.